You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Beauties, this is my dispatch from Japan, a very special place, a place that always leaves me very inspired. And if you've ever been to Tokyo, you know that there's really no city in the world quite like it. And Japan as a country has a very distinct culture, which can be attributed to the fact that it's been relatively secluded from the rest of the world until the late 1800s. Japan then enters a period called the Meiji period. And I have to give a shout out to this podcast. When I went to Japan first, I listened to this podcast on every train, in every taxi. The name of the podcast is History of Japan, and it's just a fascinating deep dive. If you love history podcasts, I promise you're going to love it. So Japan has this very distinct culture. But the thing that also stands out to me about Japan is that its cultural exports are known all around the world. Japanese cuisine. Think about how prevalent sushi is, yakitori. And then you think about entertainment, anime, manga, video games. You think about things like Japanese tea ceremony and matcha. And many countries are known for their tea, but Japan just elevates it to another level with their ceremonial approach to enjoying matcha. And then if you think about Japanese fashion and aesthetics like kimonos, something that we all know and can recognize, the street style of Japanese youth culture. Throughout the 90s, 2000s, and even today, people would go to Harajuku to understand what the new youth trends were. Japan is known for distinctive architecture and gardening, but of course for me, I was focused on all things beauty. And the moment you land in Tokyo, there is a perceptible energy shift. Despite it being home to nearly 39 million people, and just for reference, New York City, it's like around 19.4 million, Tokyo never feels chaotic. It really never feels chaotic. Everything feels orderly. Public restrooms are pristine. People treat each other with respect in public settings. The metro is quiet. The trains are quiet. The taxi drivers, and not this is not just like hired fancy cars. This is just your run-of-the-mill, hail-on-the-street taxi drivers, wear white gloves often. You will see white lace in the back of taxi cabs. Drivers will get out to make sure that you haven't left anything in the car. I mean, there's just this level for respect for other people, but also self-respect that governs the way the culture feels in Japan. And I'd also just like to add that you feel safe when you're in Japan. Not only do you feel safe, you are safe. It was recently named one of the safest cities for solo travelers in 2023, with Switzerland coming in a second. 
And many people ask me how I felt traveling as a woman of color in Japan, and I've always, in my experience, have felt treated with respect. Not this trip, but the last trip. I had a few very innocent questions about my braids, but also those questions didn't come up until we were already in conversation. There had already been a rapport built up between me and someone from Japan. And it was like, you could tell they very politely asked about it once we were already in conversation. No one kind of came up to me and said, oh, talk, tell me about your braids. And certainly no one touched my hair. I mean, that is still yet to happen to me. And do you know why no one touched my hair? Because there is no touching. People bow in Japan, and I love that people bow. Why shake hands and exchange germs? We need to bring the bow stateside. And this recent trip was my third time in Japan. My last visit was in 2020, and I was able to experience Japanese onsen in a mountainside ryokan. Onsen is one of the most special beauty experiences I've ever had. There are natural hot springs that you can bathe in, you can relax, you're surrounded by nature. In fact, when we were designing my bathtub here in LA, I was like, I need to have a deep wooden Japanese tub. And it is truly my favorite space in our new home. Um, I was able to go to Kyoto and see the very graceful Geikos. Geikos are geishas in training, also called Maikos. But it was on that trip that I learned about the rigorous work that it takes to become a geisha. And it is still very much my dream. And it will happen one day to interview a geisha on this podcast. They are a very protected group of people. I could do a whole episode on geisha culture. But for this trip, I got to spend six days in Tokyo. It's a city where you always wish you had another week to explore because there is truly so much to do. And I was in Tokyo with Shiseido, a brand that has an 150 year history in Japan. And I loved being able to dive into the history of the brand, meet the research and development team, go to the Global Innovation Center, and also to be around other creators. This was my first time going on a brand trip. It's going to be very hard to top, but it was a really affirming experience for me. Between all of the events we had for the brand, I made sure to do my beauty side quest so that I could bring you all my beauty dispatch from Tokyo. The very first night, I went straight to Don Quixote. Now, everyone's jet lagged. Everyone goes to sleep. What do I do? I go straight to Shibuya to Don Quixote, which is sort of like... Target, the largest discount drugstore in Japan, and I am just committed to buying product. I want to get sunscreen, nail decals, I want to get lip products. I go in there and I just want to read to you some of the things that I ended up buying because these are not things that are easily found in America. Now, the sunscreen aisle in itself is incredible. We all know that Asia is a lot further along, and Europe is a lot further along than the US is when it comes to sunscreen advancement. But the commitment to sun care is something that I saw throughout my trip, and it's a topic I'm gonna to come to before we end this episode, but just the sheer volume of sunscreens, incredible. Nail decals, these were like maybe three or $4, but they're these very cute kind of stick on, almost like stickers that are raised, like 3D stickers that you could add to your nails. Mouth sleeping tape was so prevalent. It was in every single drugstore I went to. And I was like, why would one need to seal their mouth shut to sleep? Little did I know, this is a huge craze. So many people are doing it. It changes your jaw structure, your facial structure. It helps with sleep apnea. It helps with the quality of your sleep. It helps to eliminate morning breath. It helps with allergies. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of reasons that people seal their mouth shut at night. I did not know this was such a common practice, but I will tell you, I have been using my mouth sleeping tape since I've come back. 
And I do think I'm sleeping better. Like the quality of my sleep does feel better since I'm putting on the mouth sleeping tape. I don't know if that's placebo effect. I'm going to continue using it and I'll keep you updated. In terms of skincare, I did kind of tread lightly because one, my Google Translate was not working well in the store and I didn't want to buy a lot of things where I didn't know what the ingredients were and it could potentially break me out. But an ingredient that I saw over and over and over again was Sika, which I think will be interesting to see if it makes its way here to the US in terms of popularity. Sika is a leafy green plant. It has anti-inflammatory properties. It is popular in a lot of K-beauty products, but I don't see it in a lot of products here. And I certainly saw a lot of Sika masks, Sika face creams, cleansers when I was shopping around Tokyo. The other thing that I saw, which is brilliant, are enzyme pods for cleanser. This is a powder cleanser that you mix with water and then you use it to wash your face. Dr. Barbara Storm has a product like this. There's the Lotus Exfoliating Cleanser from Human Race that's similar to this. If you remember my Beauty Concentrates episode, you'll remember this is something that I said we're going to see more of. Uh, Products that you activate with water at home. It makes so much more sense for travel, makes so much more sense for the environment. And this was something that I did see a lot in Tokyo. Heating pads for your neck, lower back, heating pads for menstrual cramps, lash curlers. I saw a lot of dermaplane products. Face shaving is very popular in Japan. I have such little hair, but I was like, I just need to get one of these. I got a Panasonic one and I just used it to kind of touch up around my eyebrows and I was very impressed. And then I used it kind of along the sides of my face and my forehead and I didn't pick up a lot of hair. The hair that I did pick up was very fine, but I did feel like my skin was so much smoother after. The other thing that I was just so excited to be able to buy single eyeshadows. I don't know what happened in the United States where it's so difficult to get just single shadows, but for some reason, I feel like we moved to this world where everything is a palette and now it's so hard to find single shadows. And I got a lot of really great brownie, orangey single shadows. The other thing color-wise is I noticed a lot of reds and oranges in the makeup, a lot of red eye makeup, a lot of red and orangey blush, a lot of red and orangey lip stains and the lip products. So many very interesting textures. I got different kind of lip velvets and lip stains and lip oils, but in textures that I can't really say are comparable to a lip gloss or a product that I could name for you that would be sold at Sephora. I'm going to be doing a review of some of the lip products on Naked Beauty Planet, so make sure you're following me on Instagram for that. And again, in terms of the skincare that they sell at the drugstores, SK2 and Shiseido are always kind of locked away. It's very clear that these are like the premium skincare brands. And then there are more price accessible skincare options. One of the most popular skincare products in Japan is Cure Natural Aqua Peeling Gel. You can buy it here in the States. I bought it the last time I was in Japan. It's a clear water-based exfoliator with glycerin and aloe vera. So it's hydrating, but it's an exfoliator. So as you rub it, kind of like little beads of dead skin come off as you are rubbing this product in. Now, I bought it the last time I was in Tokyo and I used it, but I didn't use it consistently and I wasn't like that obsessed with it. People, again, really, really love this product. It didn't blow me away. Hado Labo is another really well-known Japanese skincare brand that's on the affordable side in a very kind of different positioning than Shiseido is. And I do think Hado Labo is worth trying. And then one of my favorite products that I got on this trip is the Anessa sunscreen. Now, Anessa Sun Care, I believe you can get it in the States, but it's hard to come by. And it's kind of a gold packaging and they have this beautiful gel sunscreen. I will link to the one that I got in the show notes. It is one of the most beautiful textures of sunscreen I have ever experienced. 
I shared it on Instagram and a lot of you said you've tried the Anessa Perfect Sunscreen Skincare Milk. And I haven't tried that milk version. I'm now curious about it. But the sunscreen was really incredible, which leads me to one of my biggest unlocks that happened this whole time I was in Tokyo, which is the UV sun umbrella, uh, which is the UV sun umbrella. All around Tokyo, you will see people, and I will say women, I didn't see that many men with sun umbrellas, but you will see women holding sun umbrellas. And the sun umbrella that I had has UV protection on the inside, and then it's kind of tan, it's chic, it comes in a little carrying case that you can put on your shoulder. I am back in LA, I am carrying my sun umbrella around shamelessly. I went to this farmer's market today, I was under my sun umbrella. And the reason why I think this is such an incredible addition to my sun protection, one, you need to reapply sunscreen every two hours. And let's be real, as you're out and about, sometimes that time lapses. So there's times when you're outside and you're not actually fully sun protected. Two, and this has nothing to do with the sun worsening hyperpigmentation and wrinkles and all the things that we know the sun is not good for. Direct sunlight and direct heat, and it was very, very, very hot in Tokyo, but direct sunlight makes me feel so tired. It drains me of my energy in a way that nothing else does. And having this kind of mobile shade with you, being able to walk under an umbrella of shade under the hot sun just makes being outside so much more enjoyable when it's really sunny. And of course, skin cancers, melanoma, all of that is should be your number one reason for not wanting to be out in the sun. But for a lot of people, the fear of aging rapidly seems to be a stronger motivator. All of that aside, I think for me, someone who does like being outside in the summer, but often gets very exhausted by the heat and gets heat rash, a UV sun umbrella has been a game changer. I'm going to try to find one that's the closest to the one that I got to Japan and link it in the show notes, but I've been walking around with one and it's a game changer for me. When I got back to the States and I thought about putting together this episode, I was like, I actually want to hear from specifically a black woman that lives in Japan. And I came across Enem's content and I was like... I really want to get your POV and understand what it's like to live in Tokyo. You're going to hear from Enim what motivated her to live in Tokyo and what it's like living for her there. I came to Japan after living in Peru. I was in Peru for work and also to improve my Spanish. And since I had already studied、uh, Japanese when I was younger, I decided to、uh, come to Japan, really spur of the moment. It's very easy to live in Japan, it's safe,、uh, food is cheap, especially as a foreigner. If、uh, a foreigner who speaks Japanese, there's so many opportunities here in Japan. So that's why I stay. And of course, I had to ask her what it's like shopping for makeup in Tokyo. Like, can you find makeup for your skin tone? I don't really go shopping for makeup outside. There used to be,、uh, what was it, a NYX in Harajuku that sold darker skin、uh, foundations. Actually, in some stores like Don Quixote and some other like, various makeup stores, you can find darker、uh, shade foundations. Ironically, The Mac stores don't sell the darker skin foundations, even online. That was frustrating. But I'm kind of fortunate in that in many stores, I can find my shade here in Japan. It's usually the darkest one.、Um, so in the wintertime, I can find my shade sometimes, but otherwise, in the summertime, nothing really fits me. But for the most part, I buy my makeup online. I, I buy like a lot of Fenty. 
I want to talk quickly about beauty treatments to get while you're in Tokyo. I got my lashes done. I tried manga style lashes, kind of anime lashes. If you watch anime, a lot of the female characters in anime have these spiky lashes that are clumped together. And manga lashes have become this trend where I think traditionally lashes are longer on the outer corners and shorter on the inner corners. But this style kind of does these groupings of longer lashes in between. The thing is, and I went with my husband, he was like, you should do this. It would be so cool. You're always wanting to experience beauty culture up close. It's like kind of when I go to Turkey, I always do Turkish hammam. Like I'm always looking to do local treatments. But when I got, I'm not a lash girl, as you all know from listening to this podcast, I'm not a lash girl. So when I got in the chair, I was like, can we make it like very subtle and like not do too much and like not too long? And he was like, why are you even doing this if you want it to be subtle? The point is like to go there. But lashes last for like three weeks. And I knew that I was going to the Hamptons right after and I had these events to go to there. So I was like, I I can't do too dramatic. I will say that the experience of watching the artfulness with which the lash tech applied every single lash and just the customer service, the customer service in Japan is above and beyond anything I've experienced anywhere else. And the lashes did look fab. I went to a place called twinkmiru.i. That's their Instagram account. At twinkmiru.i, the incredibly helpful women at the front desk recommended them, and they were great. The other treatment that I did while I was there, I did an incredible massage, actually at the Edition Hotel of all places, but Akane, my masseuse, if you're at the Edition Hotel in Tokyo, ask for Akane, incredible massage. And then the last thing I did, which was so fun, was I got an incredible manicure at Sucre Nails, S-U-C-R-E, one of the coolest nail shops I've ever been to in my life. Everyone there was dressed exceptionally well. I mean, just very cool, kind of like early 2000s, like hip hop style that I saw in terms of the clothing, really cool haircuts, hair color. Every single inch of the shop was like a different found object, a light, a feathered boa repurposed as a lamp. All of the seats were different colors vintage leather couches and from a nail art perspective anything in your imagination they can make it happen they were doing 3d nails jelly nails i mean airbrush nails you definitely need an appointment far in advance so i will also link to them in the show notes but again it was just so cool to be able to get my nails done there but also to have a conversation with the nail tech his name was icky he was very cool he didn't speak english that well but we were able to communicate still i asked him which american tv shows he liked because he knew new york and he was asking me about new york and he said that he loved gossip girl but like the og gossip girl uh, They love Chuck Bass. They love Blair Waldorf. And I'm like, you know what? We're all the same all over the world. (laughs) The last thing I'll leave you with is, again, something I learned when I was at the Shiseido Corporate Museum, which was the Miss Shiseido program, which they debuted in 1934, where nine women were selected to become brand ambassadors for Shiseido. Hundreds of women applied. They wrote essays. They had to prove that they were educated, that they understood and loved beauty. And then they were selected to be brand ambassadors. I'm going to read a little bit about the training for it. So over seven months of training, the women studied in areas such as beauty techniques, makeup science, dermatology, physiology, public speaking, dress, fashion, singing, Western art, and manners. 
In addition, the women were required to show sophistication and to have a wide range of common knowledge. The first engagement for the Miss Shiseido women was the Theater of Modern Beauty, a total of five scenes filmed in one hour and 20 minutes, which opened throughout Japan, beginning with Takashimaya in Osaka. Presented in a stage play format, these scenes were a unique way of introducing the latest beauty methods and techniques. For example, scene three, entitled What Are Your Younger Sister's Makeup Techniques, featured a discussion between two sisters that proposed speed makeup techniques using white cream powder. Now, if that is not modern day influencing, but done in a 1930 style, I don't know what is. I mean, as they were talking about this program, I'm like, did Shiseido develop the first beauty influencer program with this? And people would pack theaters to watch these beauty demonstrations and learn these new makeup techniques. This is Instagram before Instagram. This is your TikTok for you page before that even existed. And these were the brand ambassadors that were being you know, paid by the company and got all the benefits of the company displaying these techniques to the general public. And there was something to me about learning about this that just really stayed with me. It was really just this reminder that for as long as we've been around, as long as civilization has been around, beauty and self-care and skincare and techniques and sharing techniques around beauty and self-care has always been central to culture. Beauty has always been something that united strangers, and it's always been something that community was developed around. I could go on and on about my experience in Japan, but I hope you all enjoyed this brief dispatch. And if you want a deeper dive, let me know. We can do a whole little mini series about this. Thank you all so much for listening to my beauty dispatch from Japan. And we'll be back next week with an incredible interview. Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 